Philosophy for Our Times is brought to you in partnership with the New College of the Humanities, a university-level college offering undergraduate and postgraduate degrees in the heart of London. NCH pride themselves on offering unprecedented access to a world-class academic faculty. Philosophy students at the college are taught by some of the foremost scholars in the field, and one-to-one tutorials create a personalised teaching experience. Choose your major and minor for a unique combined honours degree and study the NCH Diploma to widen your appreciation of the world in ways you'd never thought of before. Go to nchlondon.ac.uk for more information. Think better. Think NCH. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times podcast which brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. Are our notions of dark matter a mistaken and, uh, and do they have to be radically reformed? We still don't know what dark matter is. Our current theories show that dark energy and dark matter make up 95% of all the stuff in the universe. Yet since we still don't have any direct evidence for dark matter, is something radically wrong? Do we need to completely rethink our account of the universe? Taking on these questions this week, we have string theorist and winner of the Spinoza Prize, Eric Valinda, astrophysicist and European Research Council Fellow, Catherine Haymans, and physicist and writer, Sabine Hossenfelder. As ever, if you like what you heard today, then please do subscribe and make sure you check out all of our other episodes. We'd love it if you could head over to iTunes and give us a rating or review as this helps other people find the podcast. Back now to Jonas Rademacher, who hosts this week's episode. I'll start with Eric. All right, so I'm, I'm not sure whether you're all familiar, of course, what dark energy and dark matter are really about. I mean, dark energy is, uh, well, related to observations of the fact that the universe is expanding, even accelerated, and we need then some substance that's spread over the universe that explains this. And it actually was already part of Einstein's theory along about a century ago that he could add this possibility of adding a constant that made the universe expand. Dark matter is a totally different phenomenon. It has to do with what happens in galaxies and the fact that there's more gravity there uh, uh, that keeps galaxies together, but also the formation of galaxies in the universe uh, needs dark matter. But that's an hypothesis. And it's true that most theoretical physicists and, and even cosmologists and, and astrophysicists think there's a, this particle out there that explains this additional gravity, because then you can do it with the existing theory. Why would you change the theory that works so well as Einstein's theory if, well, you can add this additional component and explain these phenomena? For me, the reason to doubt this is that there's a theoretical reason why maybe Einstein's theory doesn't work the way it does. And this has to do with our insights that we have been gaining about uh, gravity over the last century. After Einstein, we have learned about quantum mechanics. We've learned more about how the cosmos uh, works. I mean, at the time of Einstein, people didn't understand the, even the size of the cosmos, or the fact there were galaxies. So we were dealing with an old theory, and there are uh, reasons to believe that it needs, has to be changed. Uh, that comes from thinking about black holes, and even insights that uh, come from string theory, which is a field I've been working on, tells you that uh, simply representing dark energy with this constant of Einstein's theory, and thinking about dark matter as a particle is, uh, uh, well, may not be the right way. Actually, there are reasons to believe that we should modify gravity um, when we are dealing with uh, the very large distances. I mean, like 
Einstein's gravity works very well when gravity is very strong, but in galaxies, when we are going further out, the gravity becomes very weak, and this is where the theory may be uh, different. And what I'd like to explain in my way of thinking about it is the connection between these two objects, the two phenomena, the dark energy and the dark matter. So dark energy is something that I believe is really there in the sense that there is a, uh, a energy in our universe that is required to explain its behavior. But the dark matter is not really a particle. It should be a, an, uh, an effect of the, dark, the interactions between ordinary matter and the dark energy. So I have a sort of a, a mixed point of view on dark energy and dark matter that I think dark energy is really there, but the dark matter should not be a particle, but it's some way that gravity indeed works differently in our galaxy, or in our universe, when we look at um, the interactions between matter and, and the dark energy. Thank you very much. Maybe we go to uh, Catherine. You measured the existence of dark matter. So uh, do you think it is not there? Do I think it's not there? It's tricky, it's tricky. I know I measured something, and we've called it dark matter, but I, I, I don't know what it is. Let me, let me tell you who I am. I'm, I'm a, a professor of cosmology at the University of Edinburgh, and that means it's, it's my job to uh, try and understand the universe. That's what a cosmologist does. Uh, now, if we had a, a bunch of uh, professors of cosmology in this room, uh, we could uh, broadly split them up into two camps. Uh, now, we'll call our first camp of cosmologists, we'll call them the, the smug cosmologists. And they are rightly so. Now, these are the cosmologists who have looked back to the universe as it was right after the Big Bang, and they have made exquisite observations and used that data to tell us exactly what makes up our universe today. Less than 5% of the universe is made up of the stuff that we are made up of, the stuff, the Earth and the Moon and the Sun and everything you can see. That accounts for less than 5% of our universe. Then we have 25% uh, uh, made up of dark matter, the strong gravitational force in our universe that binds everything together, and the rest, the other 70%, something that we've called dark energy that appears to be causing the expansion of our universe to get faster and faster each and every day. Now, this is a beautiful theory. It's a beautiful model of our universe, and it explains the observations that our smug cosmologists have made incredibly well. There is no better theory that we have to explain these observations. And so it's an amazing testament to how far science has come in terms of technology, instrumentation, data analysis, statistics and theory that we've come to this point of this beautiful match between observations and theory. So those are our smug cosmologists, and we pat them on the back because they've done an amazing job. Now we have our other group of cosmologists that we will call the embarrassed cosmologists, and I fit certainly into this camp. And the reason why we're embarrassed is because if you try to explain this model to anyone who's not a professor of cosmology, they look at you and they go, what? Ha hang on, hang on, hang on. Less than 5% of the universe is made up of the stuff we're made up of. And hang on, you've invented two things that you've called dark. And one of them you've called dark matter because it, it acts kind of like extra matter, but you don't know what it is. You've never seen it. You've never touched it. Uh, you just think it's there, you've invented it, and hang on a minute, you're sourcing energy out of nowhere? 
to make an infinite universe expand even faster. This just doesn't make sense. And it, and it is quite embarrassing to, to share, share that theory with someone. So on the one hand, you know, uh, as cosmologists, we're feeling very pleased because we do have this beautiful model of the universe now. But the flip side of that is it relies on these two dark entities that, to be very honest with you, we don't understand. And so to be frank, we don't understand 95% of the universe. And you might be thinking at this point, wow, you scientists totally failed. That is an epic fail. You don't understand 95% of the universe. But I think everyone on this panel will agree that you should be looking at that in another way, because you should be seeing that as an amazing opportunity. When you don't understand something as gargantuan as 95% of the universe, it means you're missing a key piece of the puzzle. Maybe the framework that we're working in isn't quite right. And so, yes, you're right, I have mapped out uh, the dark matter in our universe. I, we have some beautiful maps charting out where all of this invisible stuff would be uh, in a framework where Einstein's theory of gravity is right. Um, and, uh, we, and it matches what our theory predicts. Another great example of observations matching theory. But we still haven't found that dark matter particle. And until that day comes, I, I remain the, the observer sitting here. And it's my job to test the theories that uh, people like uh, Eric and Sabine come up with and try and disprove them. Sabine, dark matter, dark energy. He believes dark energy exists, certainly. Okay, so um, I'm a theoretical physicist, and my task is to come up with explanations for what the astrophysicists find. Uh, preferably some simple explanations, because if you have a lot of parameters, you can fit pretty much everything. So um, first, I would um, like to object on this idea that it, that it is embarrassing that we uh, can't explain 95% of the universe, because this 95% is a totally meaningless number. The point is that these 95% are really, really simple. At least on cosmological scales, we can describe them with one parameter for each. There's a cosmological constant, and there's the average density of this dark matter stuff, and that's pretty much it. So I would agree that this is a nice and simple theory. The problem is that if you look at galaxies, and Eric already said that our best observations about dark matter and so on come uh, fr partly from the galaxies, um, then it's not quite as simple. You actually have to do some work to get these galaxies to work out properly. Um, the thing is that you can do it with dark matter because this is stuff that is distributed somewhere in the universe and you can put it in the right amounts wherever you need it. So if I give you any galaxy and you have to explain what you see there, you just put the dark matter where it has to be in the right amounts and then you call this an explanation. So now from the perspective of a theoretical physicist, that's a little bit unappealing, in particular because if you look at the structures of galaxies, they have a lot of regularities that are really, really hard to explain with this hypothesis of dark matter. One of which is, for example, that the amount of dark matter in a galaxy uh, and not only the amount, but also the distribution seems to very closely track the amount of visible matter. 
and you can make that work with particle dark matter. You can't calculate it on a paper, but uh, you have to do fairly complicated computer simulations. And after they've been twiddling with these simulations for 20 years and added a lot of parameters, they've managed to produce some galaxies that look like what we actually observe. Now, on the other hand, there are various theories that modify gravity, from which uh, Eric, uh, Eric's theory is one. And they managed to get these regularities out basically in a two-line calculation. And I find it very hard to believe that there is not something to it. So now um, I want to answer specifically the question that you had here. Are our notions of dark matter and dark energy radically mistaken? So I've taken offense with the question <laughs> because it's, of course, it's not our notions that are mistaken. It's everyone else's notion that is mistaken. <laughs> and it's my notion is the correct one. <laughs> so I have this idea that it is actually a mixture of dark matter and modified gravity in the sense that it is some kind of particle that sometimes behaves in a way that looks like it modifies gravity. So it is a particle which gives me, as a particle physicist, hope that maybe I can still build detectors that find it. But uh, let us, let us uh, go back to, to Eric. Uh, you have basically re removed the need for, uh, for dark matter, and, uh, and Sandra just said that uh, in her view of dark matter, it is not a simple element. It is, you can distribute it however you want to make the theory fit. You have many parameters after all. So is it so then that we don't need any dark matter and extend this question what about the other mysterious darkness in there, uh, the dark energy? Can we get rid of, either get rid of that or incorporate it into a nice theory where it emerges in a, in a sensible way? So, uh, as I mentioned already in, in my first opening remarks, is that I think there's a fundamental difference between adding dark energy or dark matter. Dark matter is assumed to be a particle very much like the particles we are made of. Dark energy is this other mysterious stuff that we don't know what it is. I believe that uh, we have to first of all explain all of these things and not just one without the other. And, and I, for me, the dark energy is uh, something that I think means that we have uh, some mysterious component of energy in our universe so that our universe is not really in its lowest energy state. We have sort of added some there. And we have to explain this. And so I think our current theories are clearly not enough to describe what dark energy is. Uh, that, but I think when we understand that, we can also explain those phenomena that we now attribute to dark matter, and then we don't need it. But that doesn't mean that I have already the theory completely ready there. I mean, we, I made some calculations that could explain what happens in galaxies, those regularities that Sabina talked about. Those regularities come out of this idea. But there's another uh, role for dark matter, which has to do with this early universe, explaining what happens in, uh, well, the observations of what is called the cosmic microwave background, or the way that structure forms. And so these cosmologists that are using dark matter to explain all these phenomena very precisely, they indeed use very specific ratios of these things to explain this. I have to do still the same thing. I mean, there's some work for me to be done, but then I have to do it without adding this dark matter. And so this is a challenge still. I mean, the theories are not complete yet. But this is where I think, indeed, the fact that we have this mystery out there is, for a theorist, uh, an ideal opportunity to solve these problems. And it doesn't always mean that those solutions are already the first one that people thought about, like adding dark matter. It may be a different way. And for me, it's, indeed, trying to 
understand gravity better and then explaining all those phenomena. But dark energy for me would be an element actually that should be added. And maybe I should mention this. I mean, I have many colleagues in string theory that are working on a universe that does not contain dark energy or even have the opposite sign of what we call the dark energy, namely a negative cosmological constant. That's a mathematical universe that doesn't look like ours, but they can understand gravity very well there. So I have to take those people and motivate them to uh, also work on this universe that does have dark energy in it, in the positive contribution. And I think that is a very important component of our universe. We have to take that seriously. So will we be able to make a mathematical universe that matches the real one, but means that it has a positive dark energy and an expanding universe, uh, with your model where you take the dark energy as there, that's, yeah. how, that's how I understand it, uh, and you have essentially gravity itself emerge from something I don't understand. Um, but we just shouldn't talk, just the two of us. First, maybe uh, I go back to, to Catherine. Can he explain how uh, your, I mean, you're, you're measuring dark matter by measuring how slight deviations of light going all the way through the universe, how, the, how light slightly deflected by the mass, by the gravitational pull of dark matter, which is not quite the same as sort of thinking of, uh, of, of galaxies moving around each other, or stars moving in galaxies, which is the most famous evidence of dark matter. Um, does it work? <laughs> does it work? So um, uh, Eric and I actually have published a paper together. Uh, we were one of the, the, it was one of the first papers that tested your theory. And uh, let's take a little step back. Uh, so what we, how, how do we actually see this invisible dark matter? So I said, I've mapped out this dark matter. You're, you're probably thinking, well, if it's invisible, how the hell has she mapped it? Well, what we do is uh, we look at very distant galaxies. Uh, light travels through the universe for about 7 billion years. And as that light travels through the universe, it doesn't travel in a straight line. Its path gets twisted and pulled by the gravitational pull of all of these invisible dark structures around it. And so what we do is we spend a lot of time on remote mountaintops, um, far away from all of the light pollution in cities, and we take very, very deep images of the universe. Uh, collecting all of this light from these distant galaxies, and then we interrogate that light to tell us about its journey, its seven billion year journey from that galaxy to our telescope. What we can do is we can work out how its light's been bent and distorted by all of this invisible stuff that's out there. Now, I said, you said, you know, does dark matter exist? I know that something's there. I know that there's something that's curving space and time that's distorting these images of the very distant universe that I map out. Uh, but I don't know what it is, but I know it's there. And uh, what we did when we, when we tested Eric's model was we said, OK, what, what would it predict for the gravitational pull around galaxies? And uh, when we started working on it, I was like, this is never going to work. This is going to be great. We're going to disprove this theory in a week. Unfortunately not. <laughs> the Margot, who was uh, leading this analysis, she was a fantastic PhD student in Leiden at the time, came up with these results and she compared our, our best model of what dark matter should be with, um, with Eric's theory and uh, found that it fitted our data equally well. So both theories fitted our observations equally well. 
And, uh, but what was important, and this is what uh, Sabine was saying, was that this new theory requires, uh, we say, no free parameters. So a, a parameter is, is something in your theory that you can use to twee tweak and turn the knobs to, to boost the theory or lower it. And there's no free parameters in this theory. And that was very motivating uh, and supportive of this theory. But I think, you know, Eric does, and team and collaborators, and indeed you've uh, written a paper extending this analysis uh, this theory as well, and I think that's where we need to be going because, yeah, I would love the particle physics experiments uh, to actually catch a dark matter particle, or I'd love someone in CERN to create a dark matter particle because then that piece of the puzzle would be done. And you know, maybe that's just around the corner. CERN's uh, going up, going through an upgrade. It's going to be colliding particles together much faster with much higher energies than it's ever done before. Maybe that'll be enough to create a dark matter particle, the simplest theory that we think is out there, and we've got that bit solved. But until that happens, I think we've got to investigate new theories. Sabine, you investigate yourself new theories, going, taking some of Eric's ideas, I understand, uh, and your own. And as you mentioned earlier, in your, your favorite model, there is still a particle in there. Yes, at least you could interpret it this way. So um, I have not written a paper with Eric, but I read <laughs> the paper, or I tried to read it. <laughs> um, and while I was reading the paper, I was reminded of a passage from uh, Steven Weinberg's book, Dreams of a Final Theory where he describes that there are two types of theoretical physicists. There are the seers and the mystics. And the seers are the ones who uh, make an argument straightforwardly, go from A to B to C, and everything, one follows after the other, and you can very easily follow their argumentation. And the mystics, they assemble a cloud of facts which they lay out, and then a miracle happens, and out comes the result. And I think that Eric is definitely of the second kind. <laughs> and I had a hard time making sense of the paper, so I set out to try to put this into a more digestible form. And I found interestingly two things. One is that he says uh, he needs to start with dark energy and then dark matter is a consequence from this. So I find that uh, if you try to write it down in a rigorous mathematical way, you actually get both together. So you do not, you do not need to start with assuming that dark energy is there, but they are both um, parts of the same story. Eric, did you not write the it down in a rigorous mathematical way? Is there something you need to fix? Um, there's a starting point. I mean, I mentioned this, uh, that if you want to really make things mathematically rigorous, we. Uh, we haven't found a model yet for our actual universe with positive dark energy. The people that are working in my field work, have to work in this fictitious universe with a negative cosmological constant to be mathematically rigorous. But mathematical rigor or very medical, medical precise things can sometimes be um, even cons too constraining. So I laid out a number of ideas and assumptions, and from there on, I started reasoning, I think, mathematically precise in the sense that the steps are mathematically precise. But I have to make also some hypothesis in there, which I'm motivated from a certain intuition. So physics cannot be started from no assumptions at all and then just reasoning. You have to make some uh, hypothesis and then continue. And then that sense, what I wrote down is mathematically precise, but it's based on certain uh, assumptions. Now, one could be forgiven for thinking, okay, 20 years ago, we could have had a very similar debate. Not quite the same. We didn't have Eric's theory, for example, 20 years ago. But nonetheless, there was evidence for dark matter, cosmological evidence, evidence based on the fact uh, on that uh, 
uh, how light bends uh, in, uh, under gravitational influence, and also already somewhat, we didn't really touch on that very much, uh, uh, on dark matter evidence and cosmic microwave background and early structure formation of the universe, which also uh, touches onto the dark energy side a little bit. So uh, why haven't we moved on? Sabine. Um, yes, I'm happy to say something about it, but I feel like I should add something here because I think that some of you might be missing a piece of the story because up to now you might have gotten away with the impression that Eric's model actually explains it all, so why are we even discussing this? <laughs> the point is, of course, that it does not. There are some observations that at least it presently cannot explain, for example, the structure that we see in a cosmic microwave background. This is just uh, something at, for which particle dark matter works very, very well, but that at least presently cannot be explained with modified gravity. And there are also some problems with other observations. So um, th this is why there is still a debate in the community, right? So just one is all to be on the same table. Um, now, the issue about um, why we haven't made progress, um, one of the reasons why this hypothesis of particle dark matter became so wi widely adapted was that um, 30 years ago or so, theoretical physicists had a lot of other reasons to believe in the existence of additional particles that conveniently enough also could make up dark matter. For example, there, there's an extension of our current theories that is called supersymmetry, in which you get a lot of additional particles, some of which just have the right properties to uh, make up dark matter. And this certainly lent a lot of credibility to this hypothesis. Now, um, people have looked for these particles since the mid-80s with increasingly higher precision, you know, have built lar larger detectors um, and uh, better apparatuses, and they haven't found any. And now the most recent round of experiment just uh, concluded, and I think there's now, you know, some sense in the community where people are asking themselves, how far do we really want to push this? Like, do we want to continue building larger and larger detectors forever, trying to hope to find this particle which may not even be there? Now, the particle physicist, uh, we would probably not say we have concluded quite yet. I mean, the next generation of dark matter experiments should increase the sensitivity by a factor of 100, so that's quite a, quite a distance to go. But Catherine, mm -hmm. as a fellow experimentalist, yeah, so do you think we have made uh, no progress? I, uh, so, so why? Is it always an interesting interplay in science between theory, experimentation, and instrumentation? And uh, it's, it's sort of like, what, what drives what? So normally, uh, uh, the, the way it works is it's kind of a loop. A, a theorist will come up with a really awesome theory, and uh, an observer or an experimentalist will design an experiment to go out and test that theory. And that may take, require innovation, new technology, um, that will eventually feed back into a, a, wider, uh, a wider realm. But they'll, they'll test the theory and they'll find something new, which will stimulate another theory, which will stimulate another experiment, more instrumentation, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, I think... Uh, you know, you, you say we haven't moved on, but actually this is a really short amount of, of time if you want that loop to work. So uh, what we I'm very excited about at the moment is uh, next year we are going to be opening a brand new uh, telescope in Chile, uh, again on top of a, a beautiful mountaintop high above the clouds in a very, very dry region. It's called the Large uh, Survey Synoptic Telescope. 
And uh, we're going to be uh, imaging the entire night sky every three nights. We're going to be building it for 10 years. So absolutely massive telescopes, one of the largest telescopes that's going to be uh, working on the ground. And we're going to be building up the deepest image of the universe yet, which allows us to confront a whole range of different theories. And in doing so, it will stimulate theorists to come up with even more theories. I mean, it was only very recently that uh, it was when I was at university, so 1998 was when the first evidence came about for dark energy. Now, that's very recently, and it's only now, well, next year, that we'll have the instrumentation ready to really robustly test um, these different theories. Bina, you also, in your blog and your publications, hint that you think maybe the way we do science, the scientific or academic process, might be holding us back in finding new and uh, unconventional theories. Can you comment on that? Yes, I will just latch on to something that you just said, that um, if you get uh, new results, uh, quite possibly null results, then this will stimulate theories to come up with new theories, which is undoubtedly true, because the theories that they now have, they can always be adapted to accommodate a null result. And actually, we have a huge amount of theories for particle dark matter already that can eternally be adapted. Mm -hmm. And that's very convenient if you're a theorist, um, because these are basically theories that cannot be ruled out. Now, you were talking about this virtuous cycle in which experiments go out and uh, they find some evidence and that guides the development of new theories. But the problem is that null results are very bad guides. You know, they tell you very, very little about the new theory that you hope to develop. And that risks that we... Uh, end up in a vicious cycle in which the null results do not lead to better theories, so we get stuck with the um, theories that were not good to begin with, which stimulate further of the more experiments will lead further null results, and so on and so on. And personally, I think we've been stuck in this cycle for some while already. And uh, one of the reasons is that theorists, I think, a lot are actually quite comfortable with theories that cannot be ruled out. And now, the, the great thing, I want to emphasize uh, this again, is that uh, Eric's model, at least in, in the way that's in the paper, doesn't have any free parameters. So it is, in principle, very easy to rule out. And that's quite a daring thing to do. Can, so I, can I just come yes, very briefly? Yes. This is the beautiful difference between astronomy and particle physics, though. When you design an experiment for particle physics, it's to answer one question. How much money do we spend on CERN? Fabulous. CERN is fabulous. I love it. It discovered the Higgs boson. Fantastic. Hasn't found anything else yet, though. So this wonderful telescope that I'm talking about, not only are we going to be able to test theories about dark matter and dark energy, we're also going to be mapping out all of the killer asteroids that might one day obliterate planet <laughs> Earth. So don't worry, guys, you are safe no, no, with astronomers no. uh, looking after you all. Reassuring. Um, <laughs> I would argue that we've found things that are actually interesting ones, but uh, not yet a new particle. New composite particles, but uh, not new fundamental ones yet. And certainly nothing that really uh, contradicts the standard model and allows us to distinguish the standard model from possible new physics models with new particles in them. Some of them could or could not be dark matter. Does your model allow us to make such a test? Can I go somewhere, either to Catherine or to CERN, and say uh, your model contains an element that allows me to distinguish it 
from the standard mainstream theory that dark matter is a particle. Well, that's certainly the idea, is that when you develop the theory and you understand better, that you don't have all the free parameters that allow you to uh, explain every observation. So eventually you want to have a theory which has particular predictions for well, things that you can observe. And I think those observations will not be here on Earth. They're mostly the kind of things that Catherine is doing, where you look at how dark matter is distributed around uh, the universe and how it is behaving, at least effectively. I mean, this, this extra gravity that we see, how that's behaving. You want to make predictions for that. And then you can test these, these ideas. And so I feel the reason why we didn't make a lot of progress is that those observations were not precise enough, and we had these crude models that could be adjusted by so many parameters that they seem to be, be consistent with everything. Having more precise observations and more situations where we see dark matter really directly what it's doing, then a theory becomes also more testable. And you can exclude a theory if it's not uh, a theory that has all these adjustable parameters. You want to have a theory that has a logical framework without uh, being just, uh, well, too, too flexible. Yes, but to, to push it a little bit further, what we really like uh, as experimentalists are theories that they make predictions, so before the data from the LSSD are there. That's right. Uh, that make predictions uh, that then can be tested after the data arrive. Have you got any of those? No, I, but, but I think that, that this may be a very beautiful time where theory and experiment are working together. I think uh, in, in understanding nature, it's not like the theorists have to be locked up in one room and the experimentalists in the other one, where the theorists come out and now they say we have something, and then the experimentalists say let's look at this and then test it. No, there can be exchange. And it doesn't mean that the theories are developed to explain exactly only the data, but they can give hints of what direction to go into. So I think the reason why we didn't make a lot of progress may also because we had not enough data to even guide us in the right direction. The, the, the problems that we are having may be so complicated is by sitting in a room, you may not just find the solutions. You have to also be able to see what you're trying to explain. This is a notion that warms an experimentalist's heart very much, because <laughs> I also believe that data is, of course, the, the, the crucial element to make progress. Um, so the last theme, you're, let's look again at your theory as an example. It's a very radically new theory in many ways. I mean, as I mentioned, a, a touching gravity is something many people have tried and usually burned their fingers because it is a very successful theory uh, already. Will the development of such a radically new theory also give us insights beyond dark matter? Will, we, will it change our view of the universe, maybe also in a way that one day I can find new particles at CERN, which would be nice. Um, <laughs> I understand that that's one of your motivations, but I think uh, the, the, thing, the issue was already raised. Uh, dark matter is also needed to explain what's happening in the early universe. We want to understand where all the structure comes from. And if we start understanding gravity in a different way, we may have a different explanation of those same phenomena and even have a different story to tell about how many of these things arose. I mean, I'm not very happy with the current way in we have done this. If we think about how we extrapolated the current theory, I mean, using Einstein's equations all the way back, we've made many assumptions. And I think that story may change. Uh, but. I think it's, it's a general fact that certain theories eventually will be replaced by the next one where we can explain more phenomena. And sometimes it's not even easy to predict which phenomena can be explained yeah. in advance. I mean, you have to first 
go through the steps of developing the, the full theory. And actually, I'm not doing this by myself. In that sense, maybe I should even predict, uh, um, well, make clear that I'm not only vending a new theory. There are many theorists thinking now about uh, changing the way that we think about gravity and trying to derive it, think about it as an emergent uh, force where we start from a different language microscopically. Uh, what my colleagues are not seeing yet is the connection with the phenomena associated with dark matter. But the fact that we have to think about gravity in a different way is being done by many other theories at the same time. So I think it's just a matter of time before that theory is developed, and hopefully not by myself only, but by a group of theorists working on this problem. Uh, science is a collaborative process, That's right. uh, and not, not one where single heroes rule. I very much like to hear that. And it is collaborative amongst theorists, amongst experimentalists, and clearly between theory and experiment. Zabine, um, what do we need to do to get a better theory of everything? <laughs> let's, let's, not, let's not go for small things. Everything. The universe, her universe, my universe, everybody's. Well, I, I do think that dark matter is a good place to start with because in this case, at least we know there is something there. I mean, we do have some observations, um, which uh, cannot be said about other problems that people have tried to solve in the foundations of physics where they uh, worry that um, their equations are not beautiful enough, you know, like this search for um, unified force that unifies the interactions that we have and that may exist or it may not exist. Um, so I think that dark matter is a good place to start with, um, but you were asking about uh, what, what else can we learn from it. So there's an interesting thing about um, Eric's approach, which is that it uh, tries to make contact, uh, contact to a possibly underlying structure of space-time. So the way that we currently deal with space-time um, in our theories is that it's primary, it's fundamental, it's just there. Um, but there are some approaches um, that try to give quantum properties also to space-time, which are generally collected under the term quantum gravity, of which string theory is one example, um, that posit that uh, maybe there's something more to it. And uh, one manifestation of such an underlying theory could be something that looks like dark matter. So indeed, finding uh, dark matter and finding out that it is maybe described by a theory of modified gravity could also tell us something about this underlying structure of space-time, which would really be very, very exciting. And for me, it's also one of the motivations to work on that. Thank you. Catherine, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Big telescopes. <laughs> Big Preferably telescopes. Preferably up in space. Yeah. My ultimate dream, if, if, if some really rich person is out there, um, I'd really, really, really like a liquid mirror telescope on the dark side of the moon, please. I think that would be really awesome. You could like carve out one of those craters, have on the dark side of the moon. The bigger the telescope you can get, the more information, the more light you can collect, the further back in the universe that you can see. And with more data, more information, we can really test all these theories and really find out the answers. I always think of, uh, so our job as astronomers, you know, looking back in the past, you know, we wanted to, our, our civilizations wanted to explore the Earth, and I think what we need to do now is explore the universe. And to do that, really big telescopes are the way you want to go. Very cool. Well, I agree with that point of view. Yep. So something to agree on. Actually, many things to agree on. Oh, yeah. We mostly agreed broadly. Um, it's time to wrap up now. So uh, thank you very much to the audience. 
And uh, thanks to all our panel members for a very interesting debate and uh, for answering all these questions. Thank you very much. <laughs>